on, baseball fans. Welcome to episode two of This Week in Baseball, presented to you by Diamond Digest. This is your host, Jordan Lazowski, and joining me is Elon, Callie Sai, and Scott Bentley for episode two once again. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. Fantastic. I'm feeling really happy today. Happy to be here, honestly. Good vibes Thanks. on a Sunday. Good to hear, as always. We got an eight-game winning streak fan here. We got an eleven and three fan here, and we've got well, a Tigers fan. So <laughs> I don't know what I'd call it either. <laughs> no clue. They're having fun for now. They're having fun. We'll find fun. out how it stays. They're but happy to be back with all of you for episode two. Callie, welcome back, and thank you. We are ready to roll. We got another full pack schedule. We got a lot to talk about. Some. Surprise contenders, maybe some pretenders in there. We've got some hot starts, and we've got some Sunday night baseball to talk about in a little bit, too. But let's start it off, as we will with every episode, with the current standings. If the season ended today, because any day it possibly could. Yeah. The eight teams in the NL would be the Colorado Rockies, the Miami Marlins, the Chicago Cubs, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves, the Cincinnati Reds, the San Diego Padres, and the Philadelphia Phillies. And in the AL, the Oakland Athletics, New York Yankees, Minnesota Twins, Detroit Tigers, Baltimore Orioles, Houston Astros, Cleveland Indians, and rounding it out, the Chicago White Sox. So again, four AL Central teams and... One, two, only three NL West teams this week instead of four. All the four Giants, of our teams are in it? All four of the AL Central teams are currently in it. And all four of our teams on here are in it. And all four of our teams indeed are in it. Look at that. So, it's really a good thought. episode for everybody. Look at yeah. that. Yeah, we're all happy. Everyone, now, now I understand why everyone's in a good mood. <laughs> but we'll get to some of the contenders and pretenders in that in a little bit. But let's get to some more news. Obviously, last time we talked, the Marlins were the big talk of the town when it came to the lack of handling of the COVID crisis that we are all facing. This week, our topic of conversation is now the Cardinals. They had their series against the Tigers canceled, their series against the Cubs this week canceled, and we're not sure what it's looking like after this week. They've got one series before the White Sox was supposed to be the Field of Dreams game this coming week. They canceled it due to what was stated as logistical issues. If you ask a White Sox fan, he might have different opinions on what the logistics issues might be. Maybe it's the COVID issue, rather. But I guess the good news is, guys, that, you know, we're, we're on a podcast now, and, you know, it was one team, maybe two teams, because the Marlins were still kind of a conversation piece, or excuse me, the Cardinals were still kind of a conversation piece last week. But this week we're not having a conversation. The Marlins are back on the field. Like, that's a good thing. Uh Um, But the Cardinals are still a pretty big question mark. Yeah. We went from four teams being in question to just two, which is a major improvement. But it's Mm -hmm. still not ideal that games are having to be postponed. The 60 games in 66 days was already a tight stretch. well, not stretch, a tight fit. So compacting that into even fewer days is very worrying. We already 
have pitchers getting injured. We are, we'll get to some more of that later. This might increase the chances of injuries. We are also seeing players getting going to the emergency room for uh, their COVID. Fortunately, nobody was hospitalized, but it's still scary because these are athletes in the best shape of their lives, better shape than 9% of the population will ever be, and they're still getting hit hard by it. So sobering way to remind us how serious this all is. Yeah, absolutely. Or and I mean... You look at it and you say, oh, is it really more than just one team affected? But at the same time, Cardinals are playing someone every week. So someone's got to stop every week. Uh-huh. And someone's got to try and revamp up every week. And I think this kind of goes to what you were talking about, Callie, is that increases the chances for another injury. You know, that increases not only the Cardinals' chances for injuries and ramping back up, but the Tigers and the Cubs. Now, now you're affecting more and more teams trying to – just shut down baseball and then restart it up again. I exactly. think that it's not going to be something that, you know, if one team has this outbreak and they're, they're not going to stop the league. We, we've already seen it's going to take a lot based on what the we've effect, already gone uh, through. The effect of a team outbreak isn't just confined to that team. Right, absolutely. And I, I think that's thing, one thing a lot of people I don't necessarily think keep in mind is, you know, with the two-and-a-half-week start to the season – or excuse me, the two and a half weeks to ramp up before the start of the season. And now you got to stop a couple weeks in. You're not doing any team any favors. I mean, we're going to talk about the injuries right after this, but injuries continue to be a problem across the league. And you're starting to see teams kind of adjust to that too. I know speaking from the White Sox perspective, Dane Dunning's an interesting name. A lot of people want to talk about, and um, especially White Sox fans, like, especially with a team that has had starting pitching injuries this year. Well, he's a guy coming off of Tommy John. Now do they not want to rush him and put him into games? It's like, these are all things teams have to start keeping in consideration. This is not, you know, again, this is not something that's just being held down to whichever team is getting COVID. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, We were kind of talking about it all fair beforehand, but the, the biggest ramification for the Tigers perspective, at least has been, um, like our top organizational prospect was by all accounts supposed to make his major league debut um, either the day before the Cardinals series or during the Cardinals series this week. And now he's still on the taxi squad and not even on the major league roster. Um, it's uh, the, like you said, I mean, you said it, extremely well the ramifications don't aren't just contained to the Cardinals like now now we're as fans we are now you know stuck waiting I guess I would say um for Mize to get called up and for him personally he's done everything right I mean he has dominated every level he stayed relatively healthy he stayed totally healthy this year um he hasn't like complained in the media but like he he's handled everything he's done everything exactly right and and now because of just how weird this season is you know he's he's put back on the on the back burner and now you know his his service time and all that is now directly affected because of that I think for the Rockies perspective 
the Cardinals were a pretty decent team. We can talk about their offensive depth. We can talk about all that stuff. But they were going to play a pivotal role in the end of the season. And they could have helped the Rockies sneak into a playoff spot. You think about playing Milwaukee, playing in the Cubs. You play these Cincinnati. You play these teams that are really good. The Cardinals take those teams on. And having that presence be lost or having that be impacted, those are valuable games they could have won and helped, and helped out these teams advance to the playoffs. So I think it's just – it's a real oversight in Major League Baseball. And we've seen it last week, we see it this week, with the way they handle this stuff. And I think players are getting more upset about it. You see that people are responding more on social media. Last night, Adam Wainwright posted about how there are constant leaks about this and how he got very upset by it. So you see there's a sort of tension rising even with the players now. And it's, it's concerning because – how is it going to impact us next season and the season after that and going on? How are we really going to – how is it going to affect the outlook of baseball in, in the long term? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how did you treat your employees now? And right. when it comes time to have conversations in a year from now, how are they going to look back at this? And I think that's an interesting point. You, you've talked about it, Elon, and I think it's something we bring up a lot ourselves and even on this podcast last week is how, how things are coming through the media and how pick your favorite national baseball writer is saying something and now the players are finding out through them. Like, that's no way – that's a real good way to piss people off. Huh? Like real that, quick. Too. And that's, real that's quick. a real good way to have some ill will built up heading into arguably one of the most – important collective bargaining agreements in a year from now. Yeah. And, and it's frustrating to see that, you know, and it's all in this picture of the COVID landscape, how you're treating the players now is how they're going to react in a year from now, because they're going to remember this. I, I don't think, and I think a lot of fans try and say, well, what happened with the negotiations leading up and what happens during the season isn't going to affect 2021. I, I don't think that's true. I think these are human beings we're talking about here. Each, each incident isn't an isolated one because if you try and isolate it, you're forgetting about the fact, like what I'm saying is they're humans. They're not just going to forget these feelings, but. The upcoming CBA discussion and renewal is going to, was already one of the most important and one of the most explosive in a long time. And this COVID situation is just kindling in gasoline for that fire. Absolutely. And I think, I think looking at it, I have an interesting perspective being that like my team is horrible and we have only prospects really to look forward to. So like the biggest thing that's, that's very apparent for me personally is there, I see no scenario, especially after the like, this season after a week like your service time is waived for a year the whole like we're gonna wait and play with service time and wait until this date like the chris bryants and all that of the world that get called up right after that i think i see no scenario where where the players are gonna let that stay in for the next Mm -hmm. one and i think that on top of that i think it's gonna be really hard to convince owners that that's something that can be taken out and it's hard with a, you know, with a sport with no salary cap, that's, that's one of the ways they try to help uh, uh, teams with smaller budgets. And 
which honestly all four of our teams kind of are. And yeah. that's, that's just, um, I don't know. I, I think that it was already going to be a big deal. And now after this season, I mean, I know it's a shortened season, but it, it was a week. Like you, you keep like Joe Adele, we're going to talk about at some point, like gets called up. He missed like the first 10 calendar days of the season. And now he just gets a whole year of service time wave. Like I, I think that, for me personally, I see that as probably the biggest. And we've momentarily lost Scott. Oh, no. Oh, the joys of podcasting over Zoom and Skype and the internet. And But we'll figure out where he went and we'll come back to him. But, I mean, I, I think he was making the good point about the service time. It's a frustrating thing that, you know, I think – from my perspective too, as well. I've had a team where, um, you know, Nick Madrigal was a good case example until he got hurt, but you know, it was like six days or would I prefer six days this year or 162 days, six, six, seven years from now to get him. Like there, there's no owner in the world that's going to say, I prefer six games in 2020 than 162 in uh, in 2021 right so I, I think that's the frustration part of it for a lot of fans and i know for players too um, mm-hmm. but let's talk about the call-ups let's talk about you know some of those people who for um their fan bases for their front offices they will be gaining an extra year of service time um mm-hmm. Oh, look at Scott's back. Scott's back. back. Yay. Yeah, I, I decided to uh, take a break after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I needed to cool off. But we were just about to get in a call-up, so great timing on that. Look at that. Beautiful. Joe Adele of the Angels, Luis Patino, or Patino of the Padres, Eddie Alvarez of the Marlins, which is a cool story, Ryan Castellani of the Rockies, and this is not a call-up, but a fun one, Pat Venditti. Of the Marlins, he is back and is a fun story once again in the league. So you're seeing a couple top prospects here in both Adele and Patino. Adele was at least top five on most major boards, if not higher than that. Oh, yeah. Luis Patino, somewhere in the mid-20s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Eddie Alvarez, a real cool story. Former White Sox prospect, now with the Marlins. He was in the Olympics. Quite mm-hmm. a few years back. Medal. On silver and speed skating, I believe. A speed skating medalist. And now he is playing for the Miami Marlins. So a couple cool stories there. Ryan Castellani, I know, Elon, you can probably talk a little bit more to him, but yep. Pitching Ninja put out a cool graphic comparing his mechanics very similarly to Max Scherzer's. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think Castellani, he was very highly regarded within the Rockies community before he came up. He was a very exciting prospect. He may not have been the highest ranked. He was 14th, 15th usually in the prospect rankings, but he was still very exciting for those who watched him in minor leagues. And seeing him pitch last night against Seattle, even though it is Seattle, he pitched an amazing game. He didn't allow a hit in his five innings of work. And you see that as a Rockies fan – it's a lot of it's very hopeful seeing these young pitchers come up because the Rockies have never been known for development pitching staffs. Never. And seeing this happen, you know, in twenty eighteen and now here again in twenty twenty, 
you gain some hope that there's been a shift in the philosophy of development in the Rocky system. And you see that maybe there is a future ahead and maybe we can be a little relaxed about the pitching staff in, in Colorado. But of course, this was in Safeco. This was in Team Bull Park. Oops, I keep forgetting <laughs> that. This was in Team Bull Park. This wasn't in, you know, Coors Field. This wasn't in the offensive powerhouse stadium yet. So I always wait to see how they do at Coors Field before I really judge it. But so far, after last night's start, I'm really impressed and I'm really excited to see him pitch at Coors Field. When was the last pitcher who really controlled Coors? Was it Kyle Freeland was good one year, but he really struggled in 2019. Uh, I think Ubaldo Jimenez was the last real great Rockies pitcher. That was you know, that Bill was Rosa. De La Rosa was decent, right? Yeah, but Ubaldo Jimenez was always is always sort of the premier course pitcher. The yeah. 2009 he's, season, you know, he was yeah. he was stellar, Boy, and he, since then we've just been like comparing everyone to Ubaldo, which as as hindsight tells us, it's kind of weird. It's still weird to call them the one of the best Rockies pitchers when I think yeah. about, you know, 2016, 2017. He's probably the best. I mean, he's probably the best pitcher in the history of your franchise, yeah? I would yeah. say yes for now, but I am still going to stand by Herman Marquez eventually taking that place. I don't, I don't mind that. Yeah. I really don't. I, I love Marquez. I don't mind that at all. That's I feel side. really bad for the Rockies pitching staff because they're very talented. I mean – if you take them out of Coors Field and put them in pretty much any other stadium, they would be very solid pitchers. It's just Coors is an untamable piece. Hubalo Jimenez named pitchers excluded. Yeah, I understand that. And I think, I think they're really trying, and the team's trying to figure out a way to help them adapt better to Coors Field. And you see that this season they have, so far – and I'll go into this later, they have tamed the beast to some extent. Even though it's only been one series at home, really one homestand, you see that when they played the Padres, besides one game, they had them under control. Yeah. The Padres' offense was stifled in, in Coors Field of every stadium oh, yeah. in baseball. So there is, there is very slight hope for those of us who wear purple right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the pitching staff is always the main focus for a team like the Rockies. I mean, for any younger team in general, when you're relying on those younger guys, it's get them up, get them their experience. And, you know, kind of Scott's frustration with Casey Mize not coming up is get them up there, get some um, experience under your belt. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's figuring out how to pitch at the major league level. I don't think that's necessarily an easy thing by any means, uh, even if you've experience success in the minor leagues and I think I think that's something we've all kind of talked about in its own little ways and I mean for any of these guys Patino, Adele just getting experience this year as a top prospect as someone who maybe even in Castellani's case who's maybe not a top prospect but someone who's been on the Rockies radar mm-hmm. getting that experience in a 60 game season is huge for rookies this yeah season. Especially I think that, considering uh, yeah. how there isn't any minor leagues this year Right. And I think that's why, you know, we talk about the call-ups and the years of service time. And it's a conversation we always come back to. We literally just had it because it's, it, it's such a prevalent conversation for so many teams as, as this shift has become to the youth in baseball. 
I think it's a good shift, but it's also figuring out how, how to manage it while at the same time recognizing that baseball is a business and ha- knowing as a fan how to adjust to it. Like, we uh-huh. don't like how things happen and how things come about, but being able to understand it is another piece to it. Uh-huh. It doesn't make it any less frustrating, but. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, uh like you said, there's, there's a lot of, um, I mean, you guys kind of talked about it last week, but like GM speak is like uh-huh. super annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it's, it's, it, it kind of just saltening the wound when you already know what's happening and then they blatantly lie about it. Like that's that. And I, like you said, it's one thing to to be mad at it, but at least understand it is is some a whole other thing. And I, I think, and and a team that's in my position when like I mean I could make a legitimate argument that maybe not this year's team after the additions of Crone and Scope, but last year's team, the five or six best players in the entire organization were all in the minor leagues. Like that's mm-hmm. a legitimate argument I could have made and probably won. Um, and I think that's for us as a fan, like, obviously I want, I want to win. Like I, I don't want to lose 114 games, like obviously. Um, and I think knowing it being so blatantly obvious that all of the best players on this team are not at the major league level is while I totally understand the business side of it, it doesn't make it any less frustrating for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And I can, again, I I root for a team that just just went through that. I've seen it. And I've seen the frustration from fans. And I don't know if it makes me less frustrated that I know it's happening, but at the same time, it's not understandable, but I understand why it's happening. Right. It's still a frustration and it's still going to happen. And again, it's understandable, but it's not digestible. Right. It's, it's almost like coming from diamond digest, something not being digestible is really, (laughs) that's something. That's what we do for a living. So, yeah. So on to Patino, he's one of the, most interesting call-ups that will happen this year, I believe, simply because he hasn't pitched above high eight. He's working as a bullpen, which, like that Padres bullpen, needed more help. Yeah. What a what a bullpen. I yeah. Know. Can't believe it. But he's only twenty years old, I believe. So, he's young. He's improved a lot since being signed. He went from throwing eighty-five to ninety-five got some really good off-speed stuff and adjusting to the major league level getting familiar with that um with the catchers i keep having austin hedges catch him is going to be super helpful for a young so blessing Um, Mm -hmm. um getting used to all the pitching coaches the new staff will be good for him and just seeing how he does in bite-sized in bite-sized appearances it will be nice yeah I think it's interesting to see how some teams are handling guys like Patino where 
top rookie, hasn't really pitched too high up in the minors, but what are they possibly learning out in, in the, the uh, taxi, taxi squad? squad. Yeah. What are you possibly learning that's more valuable than whatever you can learn on a major league ball field, even if you get lit up? Like, yeah, who cares? It, it, it's nothing that you're going to learn in those practice field games. And mm-hmm. I think that's interesting how teams like the Padres, especially competing team like the Padres are handling it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure a rebuilding team is going to handle it the same way. Cause now you're looking at a team who now values the service time. Can confirm they do not. Yeah. I was just going to say, again, we still have someone who is quite frustrated with his team <laughs> doing that exact same thing, but it's interesting to see how teams are handling it. And it'll be interesting to see how teams that are competing and we'll get into this right now, are handling those young guys when it comes into injuries and replacing players because we continue to have a lot of injuries around the league. And three main ones from this last week. Now, how's that for a transition? That's a – I was just going to say That's great. That's a man transition. That's a a big boy transition. (laughs) Three major ones from this week. Mike Soroka tears his Achilles in what was a pretty brutal injury to watch Uh on television. Very, yeah. Michael Walker, shoulder inflammation, and Giancarlo Stanton, I almost called him Mike Stanton, has a hamstring (laughs) injury. So three varying degrees, shoulder inflammation lends itself to something greater than just inflammation, but we'll have to see what happens there. Stanton's hamstring and Soroka, another major blow to the Braves, who, as Kelly mentioned before we even got on, had to replace like 80% of their starting staff from 2019 to 2020, or excuse me, 60%, and now 80% upwards, mm-hmm. where Max Fried is really your only consistent carryover from year to year. Yeah, what an impressive – I mean, the fact that even with all this going on and they got they – got, uh, you know, Marquegas, who wasn't going to play, and then now he's back. And, like, what, what an impressive – just to be in the, like, second place in the division, like, just to be there, like, an over 500 is honestly impressive as heck for them, just given the fact that they have gotten the short end – outside of the Cardinals and Marlins have probably gotten the shortest end of the stick of any team in baseball up to this yeah. point. Like, that's mm-hmm. – I mean, yeah. that's – that's impressive that – and they even got – like, Acuna got off to a slow start. Albies is hurt now, too. Like, I mean, they really are scraping the barrel there, and they're, they're just right. winning games, man. Yeah. Their offense is good, but it's going to have to be a lot better if they're going to – well, I mean, they – with the expanded playoffs, I think you can confidently say that they will never be out of contention – but you're not as confident in, at, in them now as you were heading into this season. They're not a lock anymore, I would say. I agree. Because yeah. they're relying on a bunch of rookies, a bunch. They're going to have to lean on their bullpen more, which with the additions of Will Smith and they extended Melancon, didn't they? Their bull- yes. Their yeah. bullpen is, is a strength, but... I do think that it will buckle under the larger workload and strain that's going to be put on now that so many starters are gone. Just also, they're playing against teams that are deeper than them. Right. They're playing the ALEs. They're playing Washington. They're playing the Yankees. They're playing Tampa Bay. They're playing these teams that are 
significantly deeper and have a healthy staff. So I would worry if I was a Braves fan just about how long can they keep this up before someone, someone falls apart? I think the division point is a great one. I mean, that's like, not only are you in, not only have you gotten all these injuries and opt-outs and everything now, now you're playing against the AL East, like on top of that, like, obviously that's, that's not ideal. I would say that's probably not you coming from a, from a AL central fan. Like I guarantee you'd rather be here. Like, I mean, that's, that's uh, that's definitely a great point. Something that makes again them being over 500 currently even more impressive. It's all about just sustaining it at this point. Mm-hmm. Seasons like this test your depth, and it's a really interesting thing that to see how again to see how teams handle things. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm interested to see how the Braves hold up. I think you know you look at that team, you look at the offense, and you assume that that would be enough to help at least help them tread water. For now, You're yeah, Acuna, getting... Freeman, Alvis, Marquez as well. Now that he's back, those are all good hitters. They have good offense, but I don't think it can it can overcome the their the detriment of the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's valid. I I think that'll be one where that's pretty dependent on who you're playing to. Yeah, the Braves would get away with it if the Braves were playing the Central Divisions this year. Yeah. Absolutely. And but the Braves are absolutely going to be a team to watch to see if they sink or swim now. Yeah. Now, I mean, you're sitting pretty at around 500. If you can tread water and stay around 500, it's still probably good enough to get yourself into these expanded yeah. playoffs. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Can you get off to a decent enough start to where if you start sustaining these injuries – can you stay and tread water long enough that you end up 500? Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be an issue for Stanton with the Yankees. I don't think they're going to have a problem with that anytime soon. Uh, Michael Walker, I think there's pretty big blow to the Mets. Yeah. I mean, he was pitching well before his injury. Yeah. I think that's someone where, you know, the Mets have already lost. Um, Cinder. They, did not, they didn't need another blow. Yeah. They really yeah. didn't. But, I mean, on their, from their perspective, though, it'll be nice to have Stroman back in a couple weeks, though. Yeah, but he's not going to be ready in time to take uh, Waka's place. Yeah, so you got to do something until then. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe we see Seth Lugo starting. Right. Yeah. That's no, an interesting name. That's a good point. My fantasy team would like that, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's an interesting point. It's do you have – and the Dodgers are another good team that – just with someone like Ross Stripling. Like, can you have someone that if you just need to step up, like, for a game, do you have somebody? A lot of teams don't have that. Dodgers have have an abundance of it. Yankees have an abundance of that. They can just slot Luke Voigt into the DH spot. Right. Yeah. Like, you just need need that one guy on your team, and so few teams have it, that on – let's just say at least 50 to 75% of the other teams in the league, this player would be a starter. Huh. And mm-hmm. it's, it's Seth Lugo for the Mets. He would be in most teams starting, starting rotations. At least get him given a chance. He would be it. our ace. I mean, he I, would he be the literally be my ace. Like, literally. 
Like, Ross Stripling with the Dodgers is a great example. Luke Voigt with the Yankees. Someone who, mm-hmm. if you were to place him on a different team, he'd probably be starting. Yeah. And, that, and that's how you get your real test of depth. There's depth, yeah. and then there's, like, legitimate depth. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to see teams maybe like the Braves who don't have that legitimate depth, but they have some sort of depth, kind of tread water, versus the Yankees will be like, oh, darn, we got to hit Luke Voigt a little bit more this season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, Astros were that team last year. It's going to be the Absolutely. Dodgers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're seeing even now the Astros who are off to a rough start, losing Verlander. They already uh, lost. Springer? They lost Springer. It's not that same depth team that it was before. Yeah. And I mean, that might be why they're flipping. Yeah. Their bullpen is proof of that, too. I mean, they're, yeah. some of these guys that are coming out of the pen for them haven't never pitched past double A. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the dude's names is literally Scrub. Like, that's, <laughs> that, like, that's, it's, uh, they're, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for, for their bullpen help specifically, but mm-hmm. just really they're, they're pitching all around and, that on top of on top of uh, all their best hitters batting under 200 is not a recipe for mm-hmm. success. Clearly, leaves the AL West a little wide open. But yeah, well, not if the A's just keep running yeah. away with it. <laughs> Let's talk about the A's a little bit. I'm sure they'll come up as we talk about this next part. With we're going to do a little contenders pretenders debate. We've got a couple weeks worth of. Uh, conversation here the a's aren't on this list they're definitely a contender but you know you got to talk about the al west a little bit in these next couple conversations here we'll start with elon's rockies we'll go around yeah start with uh everyone can tell their whether or not they think they're contenders and pretenders or pretenders and then we'll have a little discussion about a couple of these teams so like i said we'll start with the rockies I won't start with Elon because I know what his answer is. We'll start with Scott. What is your answer? <laughs> um, I am my. I find my definition of contender and pretender probably changed this season. Sure, from what that's valid. Given the mm-hmm. fact that the top two in each division are just guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And, um, that being said, I'm still going pretender. <laughs> um, but I, I, I thought about it a lot more than I would have in a normal year, especially – I mean, in a full season, I would look at starts like the Tigers and the Rockies and go, okay, they'll flatten out, just give it a couple of weeks. But now a couple of weeks is the end of the season. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. – there's I, I would say I, I still want to lean pretender, but I have no problem against anyone who would say contender. The Rockies are interesting. If you're just going off of, are they going to make the playoffs? I say yes, just due to the fact that an 11-3 start is incredibly good, and they're going to have to go on quite the skid to drop out of that place. That being said, do they win the NLS? I do not think that happens. Do they even come second in the NLS? That is another thing I think is that I think is questionable. But they do have a good bullpen, which is surprising. That's been their weakness over the past few years. Well, hey, weakness. But the last I think they had like a bullpen ERA of around four, and Wade Davis, he's struggling. If you take him out, it gets even better. Yeah. Uh, had a really good offense. Charlie Blackman is raking. They they could do it. Who knows? They're definitely making the playoffs. 
And I would not be surprised if they take that second spot in the NL West. The NL West is tough too. I mean, I, I'm obviously I'll let you guys say your piece too, but like the NL West is not a joke. I mean, you got the last place team in that division, I think is the Diamondbacks are only a couple under 500 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. have looked great. So like, that's yeah. the other thing, the Rockies, um, I would, I would say have going against them is the fact that they, uh, the AL West, even the record may not be great, but that's not a joke either. And the NL West is incredibly tough at the moment too, which it definitely doesn't help. With their start, all they really need to do is hover around 500. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably fair. All right, Elon, tell us why the Rockies are contenders. Um, so I actually I took some notes on this before we started recording. <laughs> so, so there are a few things that stood out to me. So in 2019, the pitching staff had a 7.8 barrel percentage. This season, it's only at 3.7%. So you see these, a massive oh, drop-off in the barrels they're allowing. Yeah. Huge difference, yeah. And then same thing with home runs for nine innings. It was 1.69 in 2019. They were the second worst team in baseball for this. Nice. And now their second best team in baseball was 0.79 home run nine. So you see just this, a change in the, in the pitching staff as well as the offense. People talk about the pitching all the time for the Rockies. But honestly, in my opinion, the worst part last season was the offense. I feel like the offense completely went off the rails, especially in July. After July, the team sort of fell apart, and the offense was a very big part of that. This season, they had the third highest Woba in Major League Baseball. And while their way to run creator plus isn't exactly the best, it's 102, so it's average. It's still a significant increase from 86 in 2019. So I'm, I am pretty impressed with the Rockies so far. I'm going to call them a contender, but I will also understand the fact that this is the Rockies. The Rockies have different scenarios in evidence between baseball. I am still very worried about the course field hangover, especially later on in the season when it becomes more prevalent. I am worried about the depth of standing itself. So far, they've gotten remarkable production from very young players and very inexperienced players. So I'm not sure if later on in the season they learn these pitchers better. Hopefully they don't, but I am going to say contender, and I'm going to say that I am beyond impressed with the bullpen. Carlos Estevez is impressive. Uh, Yancy Almonte is impressive. There's just these, these players who most people don't even talk about, who we never heard of before, just coming out for the Rockies and pitching incredible baseball to incredible teams, mm-hmm. which is fun. I'm trying to have fun with the season. Mm-hmm. Having fun seeing this team outperform myself and everyone's expectations and having fun seeing this team hit home runs again and hit runs again. It's just, it's just, it's fun. This baseball's supposed to be, baseball's supposed to be fun. This team's been fun so far. Yeah. Everyone likes to see their team compete. I can't argue with that. Next two. I don't think we'll be spending as much time on these two. Sorry, Scott. Miami Marlins, Detroit Tigers, contenders, pretenders, any strong opinions coming from? I want to go all in on the meme and say the Marlins are contenders, but I can't. I think that they will be caught by the the Nationals, the Mets, the the uh, Braves, the Yankees, the the Rays. I think that those teams will slow them down. I mean, they just lost their uh, winning streak to the Mets. Yeah, I think that they cannot sustain this, especially with how 
much they're how much they're calling up uh, minor league players who wouldn't be in the major leagues in any other scenario. Right. I mean, that's an important piece of it too. Where I mean, a lot of these if, guys, yeah. Even if the team gets healthy, who do they have to? Who do who's a consistently good hitter on that team? Brian Anderson, Jesus Aguilar, right? Ethan Diaz. I think that's it. Didn't Ethan Diaz opt out? Like he did, I think. He yeah. Did. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, you're seeing less guys than they had last year. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the Marlins of rough stretch baseball head as well. They're playing a, a lot with the Nationals, a lot with the Mets, a lot with the Braves, and even the Rays at the end of the month. So you can see that I'm expecting in that sort of stretch of the schedule that the Marlins falter. Because this is the team that yeah. currently has a speed skater on their roster. Sounds more like a hockey player than does a baseball player. Starting. So, so how can we really say that the Marlins are competitive at this point? It just feels like one of those weird 2020 moments, and I don't feel like it's going to last. I don't feel like maybe in the Central, maybe, but not in the East. Not in the East. Scott's like, I'm intrigued. You think the Tigers might be uh, contenders? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, let's let's talk about it. I mean, let's, let's talk about it. Uh, so, I will. Um, it honestly, it's fascinating. I mean, I, even from even from putting my fandom aside, watching watching this team who was so bad last year actually play like extremely competitive baseball. Um, the game is on right behind this computer too. So if I make a face or something, that's why. Um, but it's um, it's. I'll start with this. A, it's the AL Central. Okay, yeah. it's the AL Central, and like that's 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 not a cop out. Like the AL Central is bad. Like it's it's weak. Um, I think the Twins are. Pro, especially with their their uh, hot start, is probably um, probably a lock at the top. But outside of that, it's it's really um, a lot of unproven teams who haven't found their ground. The Indians' offense isn't good. Uh, the White Sox have been incredibly streaky. Mm-hmm. The I don't like. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're contenders. I think that would be that would be ridiculous, even for my standards, um, given how bad they were last year. But I'm, I'm also not going to put it. Given the teams, their schedule, and given the teams they have to play, and the ability to, if they really wanted to. Um, if they were in it with the, in the back third of the season, if they're still in it, the ability to call up uh, just a plethora of talent. Sure. The- yeah. Um, that being able to reach into your bag and grab that, if they can surprise some people is, is something that um, like we were talking about with depth that like, this is, a bad team that somehow has incredible depth, which is, weird but that's the situation we're in so um i would i'm like i said i'm not going to sit here and say that they 
that they're like contenders and going to make the playoffs or anything, but in an expanded postseason where your schedule is against the AL and NL Central. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to rule anything out. I'll put it that yeah. way. Let's also not act like the Tigers didn't get upgrades this uh, offseason. Mm-hmm. They got Fulmer back. They got CJ Cron, who's a good hitter. Yeah, so he's batting under proof. 200 with an over 900 OPS right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, the old Darsky trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there are improvements there that make it a team that, you know, again, you're only playing the AL Central and the NL Central. It, it, it wouldn't be the world's greatest surprise if, right. you know, you look yeah. at a team that's you're playing 60 games and a lot of people are worried, well, are the best eight teams going to get in at 60 games? It's like, no, that's a team that could sneak in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there, oh. were enough, there were enough upgrades, and there's enough young talent that you can make a legitimate argument there. Yeah, yeah, but. that's that's where I'm at too. I'm I'm definitely like I mean I I watched all 114 of those losses last summer. Like I'm not gonna sit here and say that this team is drastically better now, but mm-hmm. at, at the same time, uh, we've we've already gotten off to a, a hot enough start to be. In the second, second place currently. So, like, that's obviously we're not going to be – we're not in a position where we have to, like, go on a win streak to become relevant. Like, we're already in the thick of it, you know, whatever, a fifth of the way through the season already. And, uh, yeah, the the uh, I think the biggest thing for me is the ability to to reach back and, and pull people up as well if if they really wanted to make a run at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which I they agree. won't, but we can dream. Last team here, San Diego Padres. Contenders, pretenders. Absolutely contenders. I think they have one of the best offenses in baseball, a very good pitching staff, and a strong bullpen. I'm going to get into a, a, a player who's helping power that offense later, but not, talk, not including him, you have Tatis. You have Pham, you have Hosmer, who's coming back after getting the stomach inflammation. He's hitting the ball in the air, so he's getting better. Uh, Myers, another good hitter. No, they didn't hit Josh Naylor, so not him. Um, that's four very good hitters. Did I say Pham already? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Pham, I included him. It's a good offense. Uh, the yeah. biggest yeah. thing for me is bullpen. Mm-hmm. Bullpens on. If you had a good bullpen this year, yeah. In a shortened season, the ability to to have that much, not only, I mean, we we sound like a broken record, keep talking about depth, but like not only do they have top end talent, like like guys that they can go to whenever they want to shut somebody down, but they have insane bullpen depth. I mean, that bullpen is like six guys deep. Like where you feel maybe even seven guys deep, where you feel incredibly confident in whoever they're going to put out there. Like that's, that's uh, again, as someone who has watched some of the worst bullpens ever, that is an incredible luxury, an incredible mm-hmm. yeah. luxury. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. I think some fans are less confident after the past few days, but it's still a good bullpen with sure. an incredibly high talent. I mean, you got, you got Yates, you got Pomeraz, you got the previously mentioned Pacino. You have Stammen. You have um, 
Uh, you have uh, Cal uh, Quantrill. You have Matt Stram. That's six guys you can you can believe in that are good. Um, pretty sure I'm still missing somebody after all that. Yeah, it's unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as a NL West fan, as much as I hate Padres Twitter and some of the Padres fans because of <laughs> you know Matt Holiday and all that fun stuff, the team has proven itself to be not just a postseason contender, but a contender to go very deep in the playoffs. Because, yeah. really, of their bullpen. And I, I am impressed with the way they played this season. I feel like no matter what, how many games there were this season, they were going to impress us. And I'm excited. I'm excited for the Padres. From, as long as they don't beat the Rockies. They have, to, they have to lose to the Rockies every single game. But besides that... I think the, how good the bullpen is is just distracting from how good the rotation is because... Um, Paddock, Lament, um, Davies, that's a very good one, two, three punch that I would be very comfortable with in a postseason scenario. Yeah, and I, people, I will, I will be a, a pro Garrett Richards guy until the day I yeah. die. People need to stop sleeping on how nasty he is. That dude has some of the best stuff in all of baseball and always had has and if he can just stay healthy I mean that's that's an unreal that's an unreal one through four in a rotation Mm -hmm. and especially again paired with that bullpen that's that the future is very bright in San Diego for Mm -hmm. sure absolutely now we've talked about some of the contenders some of the good teams there are three teams here that you know when you think about teams that were probably going to be in the conversation for the playoffs, especially the expanded playoffs, for these three teams to be struggling like they are and not in the picture, as well as one player in particular who's having a rough start this season, I'm just going to list these off. You guys tell me, in here, are there any worries you have or you look at this and say, hey, maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. I'm sure you won't say this about the player, but you might say this about the teams. The player is Christian Yelich has got off to a – pretty historically bad start uh-huh. three teams the angels currently sitting in fourth place in the al west at five and ten the diamondbacks a team that went out and loaded up got madison bumgarner in the offseason six and nine last place in the nl west a very difficult nl west and the world series champion washington nationals obviously without juan soto for a little bit four and seven last place in the nl east do any of these teams worry you do you look at Yelich and say, maybe this is going to be a year-long thing? Or is this like, hey, you're 10, 15 games in, you still need a little bit more to see things? Thoughts on any of these teams that were Yelich? The Angels, I think they're better than 5-10, and 10, but I don't think they're a playoff team. Their pitching has been surprisingly good. Dylan Bundy and yeah. um, their, their starting pitching has been surprisingly good. Yes. Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, um, and I'm forgetting somebody else. Matt Tahiran. I'll, I'll remember him later. But their, their starting pitching I has been I think Griffin Canning's one, too. Oh, yeah, that's him. 
the starting pitching has been shockingly good, but I don't think that can make up for the lack of depth in the lineup and how bad the bullpen has been. I think they have one of the worst back end lineups there is. Uh, they have Pujols, obviously, who's, who you can rely on for a few dingers, but he is not gonna not going to drive in 100 runs, obviously, mm-hmm. and he's not going to have a 120 WRC plus season. Uh, Brian Goodwin is good in neither the field nor the plate. Um, their catchers, Max Fassi is fine. I mean, if you check our Twitter, you'll see how, but but he, you don't have high expectations for him. If you check our Twitter, you'll see how we re, how some reacted when he hit a single home run. Uh, <laughs> really, the, their only good hitters are Fletcher, Trout, uh, and Otani. And Rendon. Rendon. Yeah, I forgot about him. That's four good hitters, but four hitters is not enough to rely, reliably – Win. I'm gonna uh, agree, especially I, I'm with sure. uh, Adele yeah. not immediately taking to swing the bat very well. Right, you gotta you gotta anticipate some rookie slump from a guy like Adele. That's gonna happen to any rookies coming up. It, it not everyone turns into a stud right away, and I think that you know just personally, I don't think between the bullpen and the depth after those top four guys you mentioned, Kelly, I don't think that's an incredibly – I don't know if they may – they may or may not sneak into the playoffs. I think if they sneak in, it'll be an early exit for them. But I don't look at the Angels and say, this seems ready now. I think it's getting there. I think once they figure out their starting pitching problems, this is a different story. Um, but, but I think that there's still more questions than answers there. And I don't think the what they have up front is good enough especially in the bullpen, to kind of carry them through it. Diamondbacks, Nationals, any thoughts on any of these other teams too? I'm worried about the Nationals, just a little bit. I feel like you lose Anthony Rendon, sort of one of the premier players in all of baseball, mm-hmm. and no offense to Strubo Cabrera, but you replaced him with a Strubo Cabrera. No offense right. to Strubo. So you, you just lost a very major, major productive force in your, in your offense. And in a league, in a, in a division – where you could have high run scoring games. You have teams that don't like the best pitching staffs in the NL East and even East, and even the AL East. You know, you have the Orioles, you have the Marlins, you have the Blue Jays who are still sort of iffy. And I'm worried that this starts going to hurt them more than any other team because they have to really get it together. Last season, it really took them till the very end to cement themselves as a contender. They don't have that kind of time this season. So can they really kick it in? Yeah, especially with the t- type of teams they got to play, too. Uh-huh. So can they really kick it into gear by September? I'm not really sure about that anymore. And their bullpen is still a weakness. Perhaps right. even more so than last year with Doolittle struggling. Yeah, I agree. I think that'll be an interesting team. I think it might be too early for a team like the Diamondbacks. I think, you know, that NL West is so deep that it's almost hard to really have strong opinions. And we've lost Scott again. Oh, no. Oh, man. But 
we shall press on. I, I think based on just general thoughts here that I think we can all kind of say Christian Yelich and Scott's back and cr- that we don't have to worry too much about Christian Yelich. Um, but Angels, Diamondbacks, Nationals, those will be three teams to really watch as teams that aren't getting off to the start we would typically think of for them, especially when you have a guy named Mike Trout in the center of your lineup. But mm-hmm. Let's move on to some of the story time storylines around the league. It is a little bit of story time now, folks. Everyone has brought their own story. Callie is smiling with glee, so you can lead it off with your story for the week. Jake Cronenworth has a WRC plus above 200, and he's underperforming. He has an ex-WOBA of 510, but a regular WOBA of just four of just 0.453. He's also an incredible defender. He has three DRS, he has two DRS and just 61 innings at first base. His 50% hard hit rate is incredible. His average exit velocity of 90.9 miles per hour is incredible. And his bat of 350 is very sustainable for someone who hits the ball incredibly hard and is an extremely fast runner. He's in the 95th percentile for sprint speed. And for context, Tatis is in the 96th percentile. He's pretty much just as fast as Tatis. He is also a very good he also has very good bats ball skills. He doesn't walk a lot, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a good eye. He has a swinging strike rate of just 6.6% so far this season. When you look at the Padres offense, you look at Tatis, you look at Sam, you look at guys like Myers. But you must also look at Cronenworth this year. Plus he can pitch and he's, plus he can pitch. I'm a fan of the statement of, you know, just because you don't have a high walk rate doesn't mean you don't have a good eye. I'm a fan Mm -hmm. of that statement. I, I think I got into an argument kind of an argument on Twitter the other day over that statement. I think the, I won't go, I won't go into this too much because it's getting off topic too much, but I think walk rate has become a little too overvalued in that we assume that a low walk rate means this player is over aggressive or does not have a good eye. And I think Cal, you bring up a good point there that, you know, you can have a good eye and just be a swing happy hitter. You can see that first pitch fastball, and instead of taking it, you can swing at it. I, I think that that's an interesting argument. I think Absolutely. I think it's something where, oh, we can hear you again, Scott. Cool. Yay. I know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a situation where, um, you know, you, you got to look beyond just the walk rate. Obviously, walk rate, if you have a good – or if you have a high walk rate, you have a good eye. It doesn't mean if you have a low walk rate, you don't. That's something I can speak out and I can't say in 280 characters on Twitter. I will <laughs> never be happy with the word count or the character count on Twitter, but I digress. Wisdom, Elon, your story. All right. So I was going to talk about two players on the Rockies who have really sort of turned their trajectories around this season. Antonio Sensatella and Daniel Murphy. So starting with Sensatella because I have more numbers about him. So he has increased his strikeouts for nine innings by 1.92. He has lowered his home runs for nine innings by 0.84. He has lowered his walk rate for nine innings by 1.6, 1.46. His FIP is 2.47 lower. He has increased his strikeout percentage by 6.3%. He 
and his WOBA allowed, which was one of the worst last season, is 110 points less. So you have seen from this guy, who was one of the worst pitchers in baseball by many metrics last year, turn himself around to one of the best pitchers in baseball. I, I watched him pitch the other day, and seeing the shift in, in his pitches and seeing him more confident in what he throws is impressive, and it really reflects the Rockies as a whole this season. Turning around these pitchers who had originally had some expectations attached to them, number two, 7 South 2017 had some really good starts, they're turning them around and putting them in situations where they're actually dominating against legitimate teams. Same with Daniel Murphy. He came over in a pretty large deal and one that was very controversial at the time. I, I was kind of very upset about it. I thought it didn't make sense to sign someone of that age, that kind of contract. But this season, he has increased his WRC plus by 90, his WOBA by 116, and he has added 10.1% to his barrel percentage. So he is hitting the ball harder. He's hitting it for more runs. I'm good. So I am, I am – that is one of the reasons why I'm most confident in the Rockies this season is because there are these numbers backing up their statistics, and I can really sense a change in the way the Rockies run their team. They understood the 20, 2019 was one of the worst seasons in history. Even though they didn't play as bad as some of seasons, the fact they came into that season with more expectation than I think ever before, and then they went out like that, really shook up many in the organization. As the offseason told us, we saw Arenado being very upset vocally about the team. We see that now they're trying to change, and they're trying to improve and become more of a modern baseball team, which is something they had been very reluctant to for years before this. So, yeah, that's my, that's my little spiel about the Rockies and how they are – Genuinely impressive, and I hope that people in the media cover it more because I, I can't – I don't see them talking about it, so it's like me. If you don't know, now you know. Yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, when you start 11-3, and three, you're going to get your name in the media eventually. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Absolutely. Uh, the MLB Twitter account posted something about that. Yeah. That in baseball yeah. just today. Yeah, it's coming. And round it out, Scott, with your story for the week. Well, now that I have, like, a working mic, let me just say, I'll come out and say it. The Nationals are not making the playoffs. Totally breaking <laughs> the going back to that. I'll just say it. I think they're horrible. I genuinely – I think it is the year 2020. We play baseball in a game of launch angles and three outcomes, and they have no home run hitters. Like, I am – their bullpen <laughs> is abysmal. I'll I'll – you can – Take that to the bank and deposit it. That is – they are not making the playoffs. I'm just etching that in stone. Um, Yelich also that um, – I mean, he he's whiff. He's in like the second percentile in strikeouts and whiffs, which is obviously ridiculous. Not ideal. For a player of his caliber. Um, so that's – I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to stay horrible or be great, but definitely something to watch. Um my storyline is uh, back to the Tigers, to no surprise to ever, anyone. Uh, Gregory Soto out of the bullpen. This is a – first off, this is a team that has, even in our peak years, even in the 2011 to 2014 era of, of Tigers baseball that dominated the American League, that was – the one thing we never had was a good bullpen. And that it was never addressed. We never developed anybody to be a reliever. And it clearly coming out of that era with those rosters and coming out of that without a ring is pretty blatantly obvious that 
that that is the biggest factor and i will take that opinion to the grave um and this is now a team that uh gregory soto is this i believe he's still rookie eligible i don't i think he only appeared in like nine games last year um but he we signed him at 18 in 2014 i want to say out of the dominican republic he was when the Tigers had like the worst farm system in the history of the sport from like 2013 to 15. Um, he was like our prize like prospect and he, and he was like not even in the top like 300, but he was like the only relatively decent one we had. And now he was a starter and he got rocked in the minors pretty consistently, but kept getting older. So we just kept promoting him. And now he is 24, I believe, 23, 24. And we moved him to the bullpen and told him to just throw as hard as you can. And now he has very quickly turned into, uh, I mean, granted, it's like an eight-inning sample size. But so far this season, he is bar none one of the most dominant relievers in the entire sport. He's given up one hit so far this year in eight appearances, seven appearances. His whip is 0.2. I think he only has one walk as well. He has yet to give up a run. Uh, He throws 100-mile-an-hour sinkers. He's literally – that's all he throws, really. He he just throws 100-mile-an-hour sinkers that paint the corner. And to this point, nobody's figured out how to hit it, and he's also a lefty. And it's it's very refreshing – coming from, like I, like I said, watching and growing up with a team that was good at everything except the bullpen. Now it, it appears to be the, the exact opposite. So uh, that is someone to keep an eye on. Again, like if you don't know, now you know. Gregory Soto is probably the future, not only the future of the Tigers bullpen, but I think uh, he's going to become a closer sooner rather than later and probably be one of the best relievers out there for a while. Is he the one who struck out nine batters in a row in his release? No, so that's, that was Tyler Alexander. Tyler Alexander is not good. I don't, like, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how that happened. Um, he is, like, K per nine in the minors as a starter was, like, five, and then this happened and now we want to move to the rotation and stuff. And he, he's like never been good and isn't good. So that was like a total, fl- I mean, he tied the other American leaguer who has the record he tied with is Doug Fister who mm-hmm. did it in a Tigers uniform, who is notably known for being like a Rick Porcello, like not strikeout pitcher and like total ground ball and get you out. And, for whatever reason, now the two people at the American League record are like two of the least likely to strike you out on the mound. It's fascinating. And they're both Tigers. Damn right, baby. <laughs> both Tigers. Gotta love baseball. Have to. What I mean, what a crazy, what a crazy thing. Yeah, gotta love baseball. Uh, you talked about the American League strikeout record. Does a uh, did um. What's his name? Did Randy Johnson not strike out nine in his attempts against the Yankees in the AL TS uh, against the I think the he did. I'm, I think you're right. I'm pretty sure he is – I oh, it might have been eight. I don't know. So I know that he uh, – he, 
outright broke the record for consecutive strikeouts as a reliever and tied the record for American League's just period strikeouts straight. Um, and there might be a few. It might not just be those two. It might be a few people. Um, Johnson's, I just know, uh, might not have counted since it was postseason and not regular yeah. season. Maybe that too. I all I know that Tom Seaver has the the overall record at, at ten straight, and that's he. Tyler Alexander hit Mike Moustakis. He was going for the all time record and beamed him, and then struck the next guy out. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> baseball is a crazy game and unfortunately because of the craziness people sometimes get crazy on twitter and that's the story i'm gonna go with for this week um before we wrap it up with what we're gonna watch for this week crazy. sean doolittle apparently deleted his twitter account between the end of last night's game and the time we're recording this on sunday afternoon he was part of a blown five run eighth in which the Nationals ended up losing a game again last night. It was to the Baltimore Orioles. They were winning 3 nothing going into the eighth. They lost 5-3. He was only one of two pitchers to pitch that inning. And apparently the harassment was so bad on Twitter, he felt he needed to delete his account. Um, speaks to the larger issue we all have with social media and being respectful of one another and recognizing these guys are – Athletes, but also human beings, just like all of us who have rough outings and make mistakes. And I don't know. It's frustrating for me to see some of the backlash. I mean, I make mistakes, too. I am by no means perfect. But the backlash some of these guys get on Twitter or other forms of social media, and it's kind of pretty horrific at times and not something I think we necessarily need to delve into, but just your daily reminder to be kind to one another in times when good are when times are good when times are bad but we'll close the storybook we'll turn on the tv and talk about what we're going to watch for this week was that a good transition if not i'll never say it again i thought hey, it was clever in my head i like it was clever in my head shoot or shoot you gotta try <laughs> it sounded good in my head i'm like i'm gonna try it we'll see what everyone says but We'll start with Scott. What are you watching for this week in Major uh, League Baseball? My, uh, I mean, A, just my, obviously I'm going to watch the Tigers, but that's just like obvious. Uh, quick little blip on them. I think um, I think that they, they split their season series with the Reds, who I believe are a competitive team. And outside of that Red series, they have yet to play anyone even remotely talented. So I think part of this hot start might be attested to that. And as much as I give Laz crap, the White Sox are probably the most talented team they've played so far coming up. So I think this is the series where you, you know, step up or shut up and you prove to people, you know, if you're actually in this and trying to make a playoff push, you have to step up and probably take two from from this series um so I, I think that's for anyone who's wondering if the tigers strong start is sustainable i think this series is the perfect barometer basically to tell you if if this is even remotely sustainable or not 
Um, but my biggest series is the uh, A's Angels. And I think that is because the AL West outside of the A's is a disaster. Second place is six and eight. Like, I think that is a total train wreck of a division. And the fact that if the A's take two of three from the Angels, they're going to be, what, six and 12? And I, I just think that for the – for the outlook of just watch AL West baseball this week is basically what I'm saying for the outlook of what that division is going to look like. And I mean, just who's going for second, second place right now is two games under 500. Like that is that a lot is going to be shaken up this week in that division. I think that series in particular is going to be huge because I mean, if the A sweep the angels, it's really hard to argue that they're, uh, in a going to be in a position to even get second place in that division. So I think that's those are by far my two biggest uh, biggest must watches for uh, for this week. Adding on to uh, what Scott said, the second place in the AL West could drop down to six and nine. The uh, A's play the Astros later today. They have Jesus Lazardo on the mound, so good chance that the Astros drop to six and nine on the on the season uh personally i chose the upcoming the upcoming two game series that the indians have against the cubs uh it's going to be a very interesting pitching matchup and who knows maybe if the indians pray to joe boo enough their bats will wake up (laughs) elon what you got so what's your story this week I was thinking about the Rockies, of course, because I do that a lot. And I was thinking about Kyle Freeland. I remember a couple weeks ago, I was, I was having a discussion with some people about Kyle Freeland's 2018 season being a fluke. And with the Rockies as a whole turning it around, Kyle Freeland has gotten better than last season. But I mean, that's kind of easy to do. He had one of the worst seasons I've seen in a very long time last season. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he pitches against most likely Arizona. They haven't released their staff for that, but most likely play against Arizona. And seeing him try to return to the pitcher he was in 2018, the Cy Young Award contender, because if he makes it at least to a level somewhat near 2018, I think the Rockies become significantly scarier. With the top three of Gray, Marquez, and Freeland, I think we can really see something special there. So I think Kyle Freeland is a, is a pitcher to watch next week week after that and week after that. I forgot John Gray existed for a second and when you said Gray I thought the Rockies traded for Sonny Gray? (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. I think the Rockies top three if that was then if that ends up being John Gray, Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland that's that's a tough top three to beat. For me I'm gonna watch who cools off first. The A's on their eight game winning streak, Aaron Judge and seemingly hitting every ball to the moon. Donovan Solano hitting like clearly over 400. I think it was up towards like 430 last I checked. Or Fernando Tatis, who is a human highlight reel the past couple days. Kelly, you have been having fun with your favorite teams recently, haven't you? I have. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with one quick prediction. Sunday Night Baseball tonight. We are recording in the afternoon, so we can predict this, and I can tell you how all wrong you are if you don't pick the White Sox. We have the Indians and the White Sox going tonight. Give me a quick score prediction and the winner. We'll start with Elon. Hmm, tough. 
I'm going to go with 3-1 Cleveland. Callie? Um, 2-0 Cleveland. And Scott? 23 to nothing. No. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm actually broadcasting this game. Check out, uh, check out the Diamond Digest hot mic. I'll, I'll be broadcasting this. Uh, I just love Shane Beaver. And so I'm, I'm going to go, I'll go uh, four. No, man, Th- this is really geez. Um, Three, two in extras. Book it. Indians yeah. or Sox? Oh, right. Uh, Cleveland. All right. Well, you're all wrong. It's going to be 2 nothing White Sox. Um, <laughs> either starter is going to give up a run, though. I, I think any runs that are scored. Hey, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I love you that. You think take. the That's White fun. Sox can score off the of James, however you pronounce his last name? Grinchik? No, I don't think they're going to score off him. I think they're going to score off of somebody else. We're going to well, see. What also, happens. Giolito's a fraud. I mean, that's... Of course, yeah. You knew, you knew. I couldn't get through a whole hour without saying it. You knew. Well, you know, we'll put it on the national stage tonight, and we'll see what happens. But he hasn't gotten off to a great start, I'll be honest. But um, He's not facing a great hitting team. Yeah, he pitched well against the Indians last time out. Um, I'm curious to see how his game plan changes this time around. Shane Bieber, I really don't think needs to change his game plan anytime soon. (laughs) <laughs> no, he looks that's uh that's early Cy Young candidate right that's, now. That's that's yeah. a scary pitcher to face right now. When someone is that Ohio is gonna have a fun night. Ohio has Columbus playing game five against Toronto in hockey and then yeah. this in the national stage. I'm sure the good people of Ohio will be very, very stressed tonight. But with that, we'll just wait until the next episode to talk some more baseball. Absolutely. Great to talk with all of you. Thanks to everyone listening. Make sure to check us out. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Twitter is primarily our place to go, at Diamond underscore Digest. You can find us at DiamondDigest.com, of course, where all of our fabulous writers are doing their thing. Got a lot of good content coming out every week. You know your favorite team is going to be on there. We've got everyone covering everyone. It's fantastic coverage. But that's going to do it for us this week. We'll talk to you next week. For Elon, Kelly Sai, and Scott Bentley, this is Jordan Lasowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.